and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins. I'm so glad you're here today. Today, my guest is Jeremy Osterberger, who is the president and COO of Big Alliance. They own three companies. Big Magazine is what they are most known for, but they also do recruiting and M&A services. And Big Magazine is the publication that serves the industrial cleaning industry. Jeremy is awesome. He's such a great leader, so humble, learned so much from playing sports and from being part of a family who has incredible work ethic. And I had to have him on after I was on his podcast to talk about my book, to share some of his insight because he's just so down to earth and humble and such a great guy. So I know you're going to love this interview and hang tight and I'll be right back with Jeremy. All right, everybody, I am back with my dear friend and industry mate, Jeremy Osterberger. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Oh, I'm jazzed to be here, Carrie. I had you on my podcast, oh, I don't know, a month or so ago, uh, touting the new book, The Ownership Mindsets, and uh, just glad to be here with you today. Ah, I'm so glad. It's going to be a fun conversation. All right, before we jump into Big Alliance and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself and how long you've been with Big Alliance and give us some background. Oh, just so glad to be here, Carrie. Been here about 20 years at BIC. I uh, kind of started my career doing something a little bit different. I was the editor of a senior citizens publication out of school, went to LSU, go Tigers. Got out of school and ran a senior citizens publication, had a nationally recognized, I guess, column called 87 Seconds, where I interviewed World War II veterans. At the time, I was writing this about every 87 seconds a World War II veteran died. And so that was the purpose of my piece. And I would interview these war heroes and veterans and let them tell their story to me, which got really interesting at times. And a lot of times our families had never heard their story. That was kind of where I started my career. I'm a journalism major. And then Earl Hurd, our founder here at CEO, found me and asked me to come on board with BIC about 20 years ago. So a little bit about my background and my origin story of making my way to BIC. And did you always want to go into journalism? I mean, have you always been a writer, speaker? Yeah. Where'd that passion come from? So, so look, I'm going to say this, and it's real clear. It's kind of alludes to some of the things in your books. And, and, and for me, it was really just an English teacher that told me, oh, you're a good writer. And then I had a speech teacher who was like, hey, you're pretty decent at speaking. You should probably, and I thought, wait a minute, maybe I should merge the two and probably go into media. But I will say this. It, kind of required someone in my life, like a high school teacher, to tell me I was good at it. And I just think that's a lesson that I've carried with me for a very long time. I, I think that it's really important for us to say that to kids, because for me, I wasn't necessarily thinking that way at all. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And about my sophomore, junior year, my English teacher said, you're good. You should try that, right? And so that did lead me down a path, to be frank with you. And that's been a passion of mine uh, forever. I love media. I love what we're doing now. It's probably my favorite thing to do for anything related to work. I don't, is this work? I don't know. It's fun. I don't, I don't know. If, I don't know. Are we getting paid for this, Carrie? Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> it's so funny that you share that story because I know that you know this about me, but not maybe not everybody does. I was a, a well, obviously I'm a writer. I wrote a book, but I was in journalism. I loved writing for my high school newspaper. I went out for the newspaper when I was a sophomore and I was a copy editor my junior and editor in chief my senior year winning awards. And I thought for sure I was going to go to journalism school or something along those lines. But my 
high school trig teacher said, you're really good at math. You should consider engineering. And so I went to a women in engineering program for a long weekend when I was a junior in high school. And I was like, oh yeah, this is what I'm going to do because she was really encouraging me. And it was the only person that I had encouraging. My mom was always like, go to college, but do what you want. But having that influence of you should do this, it's what actually made me pivot into engineering. So the power of teachers pushing you to go after your dreams, your goals, and align that with what you're good at is really, really powerful. So I'm glad you shared that story. Yeah, yeah. No, my, my mom was a dance teacher and my dad worked from the plants. So I, I didn't think I really wanted to do either one of those. Although I consider myself a pretty good dancer, I'm just saying. But, I was going to uh, say, I can only, I could totally see you dancing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Ballet wasn't for me. Maybe, maybe tap, maybe a little jazz there, Carrie. That's like... <laughs> So, wait, wait, but I do have a true story. This is true. My mother, being a dancer, she did put me in dancing, and I was like three, and I was a mouse. This little girl stepped on my tail, and I punched her right in the arm. My mom was like, "Okay, it's time for soccer, baseball, football. Like, pick something up." That was it. That was the end of the. That was the last recital. I was probably three and a half. That was it. So, yeah. Oh, uh, she I mean, had to give up on your dancing career at such a young age, huh? It was, it, you know, I still have dreams, but no, I put that one away for the time being. So. Yeah, yeah. Whis 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 whiskers and all, Carrie. Whiskers and all. It was <laughs> I am picturing it right now. It's pretty cute. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Well, yeah, you'll appreciate me mentioning that. Uh -huh. Um, you also played sports. I know that's something that we we shared. You played baseball. Um, how did playing sports shape who you are today? Yeah, no, huge. I uh, played catcher, and uh, catcher is kind of the coach on the field, right? And I really do remember really early on, probably you know, early middle school playing baseball. And um, I remember telling the coach when maybe my best friend that was pitching, like, hey, you didn't have it today. We got to swap this guy out. You know, I was never afraid to do what was best for the team. Sometimes those decisions are maybe unfavorable to an individual. And that really is it. That was when I realized, like, wait a minute, I'm okay with this. I'm okay making or at least suggesting, I guess the coach made the call, that, hey, this is our best path. And then, hey, man, I was wrong several times, right? Next guy comes in, home run, leaves the field. That's on me, right? So I think that, that really was when I learned, hey, you got to go, you know, you got to go with your gut, right? At the same time, try and own when you make a horrible mistake. <laughs> and which, by the way, I'm still working on, right? I don't, I don't know if we ever master that, but no, it is true. Sports definitely was a bridge, I would say, for me, adolescence to being a teenager and then developing into an adult. And those lessons for me were vital. I cherish them every day. And to this day, some of my closest friends are still kids that I'm serious probably t-ball on and I think that battle man fighting together and playing together I was a Catholic school kid we played in the Catholic school leagues in Baton Rouge Louisiana on fields that you know may or may not had potholes or broken glass I don't know and we fought through it all and found a way despite many many losses on the baseball field I guess we cherished the few wins we got right <laughs> I think that's good. And it's such good, valuable leadership lessons, what sports teach us. And I think the two that you just really pointed out are so good. One, if you're not making mistakes, that means you're not taking risks. And life is about taking risks and growing. And so I think that making mistakes is a valuable part of our development and not something that should be avoided. It's all about how we grow and learn from them. But you got to you got to be taking some risks and push yourself and fall on your face a couple times or yeah. maybe a lot to, I think, develop yourself as a leader. And then that whole idea of learning how to lose well, because yeah. let's face it, life is about losing and it's not all rainbows and unicorns and success and winning and getting awards for things. It's about 
brutally, you know, getting beat and having to pick yourself up and say, okay, how do I do better? And how do I build a winning strategy or winning team when we're not winning? So I think those are two really valuable leadership lessons that I think you just mentioned there. And I think in baseball, especially, right? I mean, if you bat 300, you're probably an all-star. If you bat a little bit higher than that, you're probably a hall of famer. And that's just, that's three out of 10, right? You know what I mean? And so I love thinking about baseball as an analogy to even our careers and success in sales, I think, you know, if you can maintain that kind of average and making your presentation and earning some business, you're probably doing pretty good too. So. Yep, absolutely. So now you went into journalism school, went to journalism school, went into journalism, went into media. And a lot of times that can just take you down a path of being really great at media, but you've pivoted into leadership now, president and COO at Big Alliance. How did you see yourself as a leader in those early days? And was that something that you aspired to, or did you always think you would be creating content or writing yeah. stories? Uh-huh. No, you, you know, it carries funny. Well, first of all, I'd say, I still feel like I know 10% of what I should, right? I hope that humility is what my staff sees and what others see. So I think if I keep that mentality of, hey, I don't know the 95%, I like to maintain that mentality. Hopefully it shows humility, right? It keeps me humble. You know, I think for me, we're a small company, right? We have about 27 employees. The great thing about our size is I can still see everybody here. I can look them in the eye. I can have those relationships, right? And sometimes I don't feel like I'm doing a great job of it, even with as few staff as as we have, right? You know what I mean? And so that's always a struggle, right? I'm a very client-centric person. I have to plan time for my staff and that isn't always favorable to the team. Yep. Understood. What's the biggest leadership mistake that you've made? Like where you just got smacked in the face by leadership and go, oh, I had to learn that lesson. Yeah. Well, I probably made 10 uh, today before we got on this podcast. (laughs) I I don't know if I can point to a a single thing. I would say this personalities is something that I've really tried to focus on at BIC. We have, yes, think of our companies, right? We have three different businesses that make up the BIC Alliance, right? You know, BIC Marketing, Communications, that's heavily our our sales arm of our organization. We have Recruiting, which is a little bit different. Recruiting is like half sales, half placing candidates, you know, finding the right person. It's It's matchmaking, right? It's a little bit different. And then the third leg of our triangle is M&A, mergers and acquisitions for companies looking to buy and sell. That's way more numbers oriented. It's EBITDA, it's revenue, those types of things. And so for me, it's all the different personalities. Our writers are not our salespeople. Our digital production team is not our writers. Is that going to make sense? And so for me, trying to be more and more aware of people's mentalities, their mindsets, their differences, it's one of those things where for me, I have to stop and say, wait a minute, who am I about to communicate with? Is what I'm saying positive? Is it a challenge we need to overcome? Is it a critique? How am I going to approach saying this? Because, hey, the sales team, almost any way I communicate, I think for the most part, they can weather it. They can understand it. We get through it quicker. I think with some of our other departments, I definitely have to be more calculated, you know, in my communication. That's on me. And I feel it too. During the conversation, I'd be like, wait a minute, the car is veering off the road. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, wait a minute. I, and, and the good thing is I think I feel it. So I have to modify my approach. But that's been the most fascinating thing to me is that personalities are not your own. And that relational uh, approach and understanding someone's uh, personalities and the way that they hear words is still my challenge. And I'm getting better at it, but I have a long way to go. (laughs) 
I think it's such an important one, though. We experience things through our lens. And it's too easy to say, oh, well, people like the same things that I like or can be communicated with the same way that I like to be communicated with. And that's just simply not true. And so I say the very best leaders are able to modify themselves like that in the moment. Well, beforehand, right, going into a conversation, but even in the moment of the car is veering off the road here, how do I fix it? When you see that happening in a conversation or feel that happening in a conversation, do you stop and fix it right there? What do you do when you're like, okay, what I'm saying isn't landing here and I need to get this back on track? What do you do? Make here kind of a couple different things. First off, probably try and pause, try and paraphrase what they said to make sure they understand that you heard what they said. That's what I try and do. And then sometimes, no, hey, this isn't the time, right? We're, we're not quite getting through to each other, whether it's me, you both, right? And hey, let's pause this, give us some thought, come back to it. That does happen sometimes, right? The challenge is you're always trying to move on to the next thing, Carrie. And so I want to get this resolved. <laughs> and is that my ego? No, I, I can get through this. I can, I can complete this discussion, right? And that I would say that I'm trying to do more of the latter. Like, hey, man, if the timing isn't right, if we're both busy, if we don't have the time to, when I thought might be a 10-minute conversation, turns into a 20-minute conversation, and I don't have the time to execute that conversation, maybe it is best to come back tomorrow. And that it's hard. You know what I mean? I, that, I don't know how many people have mastered that. <laughs> It is. It is really hard. But you know, it's so important because a lot of times you do, you have to be able to say, you know what, this conversation, this is not landed. Let's just pause and let's circle back. But if you don't circle back as a leader, right, you lose credibility or that magic moment where you can come in with a good night's sleep with a little bit more perspective and say, all right, let's pick this up where we left and have a much more positive conversation. Maybe maybe you bounced it off of a spouse, maybe yeah. a coworker, maybe someone in a different department. I, I love doing that. I like to maybe go outside of one department and maybe present my challenge, right? And maybe someone from a totally different department might impartially see two different perspectives. That's powerful to me. Where it's like, wow, man, I'm thinking this person's perspective, my perspective. Wait a minute, there's actually eight other ones. You know what I mean? And if I can get someone else to maybe shed some light on something, perhaps both of us will have a little bit better understanding as we go forward. I really appreciate that. And to get to know personality styles, do you use any assessments or tools within BIC to help understand each other better? We try and have our staff do Myers-Briggs, right? To try and get our four letters. I think we try and keep a legend around the office so we can understand what they mean. That's one thing we do. I think the other thing is just so challenging, especially with remote work, Carrie, is just spending time together. We, We try and gather Monday mornings, everybody. We do have a couple people that are remote on that call, but for the most part, we're together. And man, I am a kinesthetic human, right? Like I used to think I was visual, but I'm not. I want to be in it. Like, I know you ride mountain bikes. I ride bikes. You talk about our sports backgrounds. I know you're a lot like me. I learn and absorb and I understand through my movement and by not just seeing someone like, I don't know, man, like fist bumping, high five. It's funny how that is for me. That's so important. And so I have big challenges with remote work. I get the benefits of employees. I love it. I'm trying to say there's only so much I see through a screen. That's the key for me. If I can spend time with someone, even five, 10 minutes, it's not for me necessarily even about what is said. It's almost like just the presence for me. And that that's what keeps, that's what gets me ticking. And that's what I hope I can convey messages and feelings without words is through that kinesthetic transfer of information. Yep. 
Yep, absolutely. So tell me about how you ran through the ranks to get to president CEO <laughs> Epic. <laughs> uh, I've never well, heard this story before, well, so I'm super curious. No, no it's, well, without going too long into it, this is my tip for anyone listening. Uh, so Earl brought me over to work for a bit and it's funny. He, he really didn't know where I was going to fall. We had a production director that was laying out our publication, our print magazine. And I think she was about to have her second child. And he was kind of concerned that maybe she wouldn't come back to work after maternity leave. So he hired me. I ran my own publication before Bic. So right. he knew I had a nice balance of layout design, my journalism background. I have a degree in journalism, right? And then, you know, he could tell, I really wasn't ever doing sales, but I had to sell ads for my previous publication. And which by the way, Carrie, for senior citizens, it's all the ads were like casinos, Pfizer, pharmaceuticals. It was all awesome, man. It was like the greatest thing ever was covering people over the age of 65. They don't like to be called seniors, by the way. So I came on a BIC with a sort of a well-rounded media background and he didn't know, he didn't know where he was going to place me. So I got the job, not knowing a clear path, but I believed in Earl. I believed in BIC and I had a lot of people that knew him and knew his personality. Earl is a godfather and a legend in our business. And I had a lot of people tell me, hey man, whether you have a short time with Earl or you have a lifetime with Earl and the BIC Alliance and BIC Magazine, it's going to be great for your career. And that's why I kind of jumped into it. And I took a cannonball. Some people try and enter a job and they dip their toe. I didn't do that. I went right in. I said, this isn't going to work out by anything I do. If I'm going to commit to this 100% and, and, and Vic's going to work, it's going to be because I did that. That's kind of how I jumped to it. So I power washed the uh, parking lot the first weekend of my first week on the job. And Earl came back and said, man, the building in the parking lot looks <laughs> pretty good. And, uh, yeah, true story, man. And it's job security. So that's how I started Vic. I'm not kidding you. I was kind of in support of Earl, I would say, kind of production slash sales support. And our production director came back and that role was not needed. So I basically went to our business development side of things and went from there. Regional sales director, national sales, made my way into VP of uh, sales and ops and then uh, under the president role over uh, 20 years. So Earl, Earl and Thomas have done nothing but give me opportunity here in our company. And I'm just, I'm grateful for that and feel like I've taken it as well. I love that. What a great story. Yeah. And cleaning, which, you know, uh, I love the fact that you got out there and you cleaned is yeah. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so and look, look, I'll, I'll mention this too. So this is like a family thing. I'm not kidding you. So I'll, I'll share this. My, I'll start with my dad. So my dad uh, worked for Dow Chemical for 40 plus years and he was a safety director, turnaround coordinator. He had a lot of roles in the Plaquemines site in Louisiana. And he has a very similar story to that. My father's a completely balanced ambidextrous, which is really weird. He can like draw with his wow. left right? hand. It, it's mind blowing. It's odd. And he can like throw a baseball at the same speed with both hands. That's the strangest thing you've ever seen. And so he loved art and he was like a caricature artist. You know what I mean? Like little freehand drawings. And when people would retire from Dow, he would make them a caricature and frame it and hand it to them at their retirement party. Well, Carrie, no one's going to fire the guy who draws the retirement pictures. Yeah. Right? So guess what? He was there for like 40 years. I think he did great in his job. He'd probably tell you he did average or, or satisfactory. But, you know, no one was canning the guy that's giving out the retirement images, right? So that's my dad's job security. And he learned it from my mom's dad, my grandfather, whose nickname was Biscuit. Because James Biscuit Davis, he worked at Exxon in Baton Rouge for like 40 something years. And his thing was, he was a great chef and a baker. And he would he would wake up and get to the plant at like, I don't know, 4 o'clock. You get to a plant early anyway. So at the plant at like 4 a.m. And he's baking what they call cat head biscuits. It just means the biscuit is about the size of a cat's head, which is weird. I don't, I don't know why 
that's there's an analogy. Uh, weird yeah awkward <laughs> explain that one to me i don't know but he would bake these biscuits and put them on wax paper and give them to like all of the plant management no one's firing the biscuit guy carrie no one's firing the biscuit guy <laughs> so, so that that's that's the family story and, and look it goes on man i told you my mom was a dance teacher she she taught like four generations of girls mom you're still young by the way i'm not saying you're old at all but mom taught like four generations of girls and i mean how do you do that carrie you have full buy-in i mean people loved her right so what would she do she would just make it a family you know what i mean and i learned from those three people in my life that are just tremendous my brother owns a business in dallas same mentality we all learned it from our grandparents and our parents i love that and to watch witness observe your family staying in careers for 40 years, that is something that's unheard of today. Yep. And I'm sure that probably created a lot of the value that you have with your loyalty and being at Big Alliance for almost I, 20 years now. I think most people know me tell you loyalty is, uh, I value a lot. And the other thing is, I just wanna be an expert. I think my issue today is, and look, I love new things too. I love trying new things, but I think it was Michael Phelps that said, you gotta do something for 10,000 hours to be an expert. I think if your clients, if you wanna have credibility, I think that's required. Yeah. You know, yep. right? I and agree. That's always been my mentality. So. Yeah, I know. It's the same thing. I know people have asked me, what's next? What's after Stone Age? And of course, I have plans of speaking and writing and all the different things that will come, but it will always include Stone Age. I can't imagine being anywhere else. I mean, our founders are in their 70s and I plan when I'm 70, as long as my brain still works and I'm still useful, to be able to sit on the board and be able to provide that historical experience to you know the future leaders of this company. And I think that's a really cool thing. I think it's something to be proud of, but a lot of people look at you like you're crazy. Right. And, and I love... I love you talked about that in your book. You talked about, I think you said that it's an employee's duty to understand the history of the company yeah. and contextualize their role in it. Man, that's that's yeah. incredible. I think of all the people that have made BIC what it is. It's, it's 30, 40 people. And without them, we yeah. never would be what we are. And they may have gone. They may have left. But their time yep. here mattered. It was another brick on the wall. It was another step on the ladder up. And do you have somebody at BIC who draws characters of people who retire? <laughs> <laughs> You I haven't think, taken up I'll, art yet? <laughs> I will say this, man. So my wife's an artist. She's got that ability. I don't have that capability. I'm amazed at people that do. I can draw like a stick figure with hair. It's, it's about as good as it Oh, I'm so with you. I like doing those Picasso and Vino classes, right? <laughs> where you go drink wine and they teach you how to paint. And I always enjoy it. Mine are always pretty awful, but it still makes you feel proud when you're like, oh, I did that. It might not be great, but I actually did that and created it. In fact, we've done it with two different teams at Stone Age and I have those hanging in my office and everybody's mad at me. They're like, why do you have it hanging in? I was like, cause we created this together. Yeah, that's all. That's cool. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Yeah. I know we've been talking about going to some axe throwing around here. I think that'd be pretty cool too. I like that stuff. That's <laughs> awesome. A little different from the wine and art, I guess. But. Yeah. Yeah. Throwing axes and painting pictures. Are... A little different. But maybe that's a business model, right? You can combine it. <laughs> Go ahead and paint and throw axes. <laughs> I don't know. Wine and axes is probably a bad idea. I don't know. If that, I don't know. You ask your safety director about that. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah. You'd say no. So let's get into a little bit more about Big. You've yeah. talked a little bit about Earl and Thomas, but let's back up and walk us through, you know, what Big does, how it started. Give us that context. So about 40 years ago, the quick and skinny is our mission statement is to connect people in business and industry for their betterment of all. So how do we do that? Three ways. Big magazine and media. Nowadays, that's print, digital, 
websites, videos, everything that's re- social media, everything that's required in modern communication. Our primary audience is refining petrochemical, midstream tanks, terminals. We touch in the power. So we are truly a multi-industry energy publication and media outlet. And our big goal is to help our clients succeed and gain access to all those sites. That also includes networking events. We manage a database of contacts that companies can access to improve their business development opportunities. That's kind of our focus on the media side. On the recruiting side, big recruiting, we're trying to find the right people. Companies grow by finding and hiring the right people. So we fill permanent roles in this energy space. And it's pretty broad as far as that goes, but it's sales management, sales operations, C-suite. We placed a president this year, a couple of VPs are working on a COO role and a CFO role. That's kind of where we play all permanent positions in this energy world. And then if you really think about it, we've built all these relationships with business owners over our 40 year history. And naturally we got into merger and acquisition services. So these business owners are looking for a strategic sell. They're looking for private equity to bring in an investor to maybe help them grow. It was natural for us to get into that. So we've actually done about 21 deals over our 20 year history, all for the most part in the energy space. Most of those companies are service oriented companies providing, let's just say industrial services of all types into the heavy industrial market and this space. I wouldn't have thought that that was natural. I mean, obviously you guys know everybody, but so are you matchmaking on those deals? What's your role? Yeah. So we take it from understanding their exit strategy. Typically that conversation is two to three to five years ahead of a closing of a transaction. And we take that deal. It's way more than a handshake. We dig into their financials. We prepare their business to do a transaction is what I would say. We build out a deal book, probably 10 to 30 pages. We're going to send out to potential quote, quote unquote buyers or investors. We market the deal through diligence and all the way up to close. So uh, we truly are what you call an investment bank or a uh, M&A broker is another way yeah. to describe us. Yeah. Interesting. What's your favorite part of the business? Oh, wow. I love BIC that it's everything. I'm doing this right now. I was at a golf tournament this morning. All those things are a blast. There's other side of what we do that is way more mundane, but I love the mix that we have, right? I love media. I love marketing. I've always been passionate about it. The recruiting side is fun because, man, there ain't nothing like finding somebody a job. That's the best, yeah. right? I love yeah. that. So that's fun. The, the M&I, M&A side, Carrie, you know, as I built relationships in my career here at Vic, now I'm really starting to see those come to fruition and having these business owners, folks that, you know, looking to retire, maybe want to spend some more time with their families. That's an incredible thing. Maybe they never thought they could ever get a deal done or they're not the right size or whatever doubts they may have had finding the way to uh, give them an exit strategy is incredible. And it's, uh, that's, probably the, that's probably the funnest thing I'm doing right now. And I think for the next 10 or so years, it should be a really nice market for us in the next uh, decade. And you talked a little bit about Earl being the godfather. So tell yeah. us a little bit about him because Bic wouldn't be Bic without Earl, um, no. even though I know he would give credit to all of you amazing people who have helped him build it. But can right. you t- give, tell us a little bit about him? Well, the neatest thing about Earl's story, and he's written several books, uh, it's what we do yeah. together that counts is really the story of Bic, by the way, yeah. a great, great piece that he did. And uh, Earl would say that Bic is the over, <laughs> overnight success that took 40 years, right? <laughs> a great. He's the king of the one-liners, man. He's the king of the one-liners. Yes, he is. You know, Earl was a journeyman carpenter. He really came from industry. He was birthed out of industry. He would tell you, I hire editors because I'm not the best writer. Isn't that funny? He owns a publication, right? But uh, 
he would say that. And for, for me, what stands out to me, Earl, is just adversity. I mean, he's overcoming adversity. And Earl did a great job of finding people in his life, like Thomas. And there's been so many other people that we call them Bicksters, people that loved Bic, cared for Bic, and grew Bic. And we, we also call our marketing partners that too, people that without them, we would have never started Bic. It, look, it took six, seven, 12, 18 initial business owners to support Earl or Bic would have never gotten off the ground. And he would get teary-eyed talking about some of these individuals that started Bic early on. And Earl started really in the, this is weird. He actually started in the video business. Earl was a fire and safety training coordinator. And he started making these fire and safety videos like, hey, how to put out a tank fire, right? Something like that. And so Bic was really founded in the video world back in the 80s. Well, he created a little flyer that would tell people, hey, I'm going to publish this video. And people started saying, wait a minute, where are you sending this flyer to? Well, I'm delivering it and mailing it to safety directors, plant managers, operations. And someone said, well, Earl, I, I would want to advertise on that. So Bic publication actually grew from that. It was from Earl trying to launch a video business, but he had this mailer that he would mail out and someone realized, wait a minute, I want my logo and my name on that because that <laughs> is what is being sent. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. So, so that's kind of wow. really the origin story of Bic. I'm talking like really, really, really early, early on. That's kind of where it came from. And, and uh, back in the eighties, you're trying to do video. The equipment was crazy expensive. You had to keep yeah. up with all that. That was not a fun business to be in. Three years after you started, your equipment was all antiquated. So that's kind of the the origin story of, of Bic. And the other thing that Earl did was brilliant was he started offering our front cover sponsorships, which is not common in the publishing world. And that was a huge game changer when he calls it his money clip moment is what he would say. There's a story behind that too. But that's when he felt like he had gotten to a point where he knew Bic would be a success, Carrie is what I would say. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. So tell us what's next for Bic. You talked a little bit about M&A for the next 10 years, but are you doing anything else that's interesting that you'd like to share? Yeah, you know, I would say our readers are demanding media and information in so many different ways. Some people get their news and information exclusively from social media. Many yeah. of our decision makers in industry are silver-haired folks that perhaps aren't as digital savvy. I said perhaps as younger folks, they still love that print publication. So for us, it's a real challenge. I trying to hit all the different mediums, hitting a specific audience. The other thing, Carrie, is a lot of what we do in our industry is fairly technical. And then you combine that with short attention span. I don't know if TikTok is the easiest way to communicate hands-free cleaning tools and automation for heat exchanger cleaning, right? You know what I mean? So I think yeah, that's a challenge. Definitely not. Right, right. So that's a challenge for most marketing professionals. At the same time, if we want to engage a younger audience, we certainly can't belittle those mediums in this past. So that's right. what we struggle with. And for us as a media company, the brain power, the various different medium expertise that is required costs a lot of capital for a media company. We didn't have a video team 12, 15 years ago, you know what I mean? And now we, we do it all. We're starting to do full digital marketing services for our clients that maybe don't have a marketing director. We can handle all their social media. We can do their website optimization, you know, all their demands from a digital yep. perspective. So we, we just try and say yes. And then we figure it out. <laughs> I love it. Well, it's yeah. built a great company off of saying yes. Yeah. So <laughs> right. absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate everything that you do. It's a fantastic publication and I'm always enriched. I don't, I can't make it through all of it every 10 month because it has so much content, but it is, it's fantastic. It is well, absolutely fantastic. 
Well, Carrie, we personally just um, uh, honored to be on with you and you're a real leader in our industry and it's, it shows your staff's awesome every time we run into them. Uh, of course, we're referring to Stone Age and thank you for your book too. I really enjoyed it and try to spend time with it and embrace it. And I hope people go back and listen to our podcast too, where I dug into your value and the value proposition that you shared in your writing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I love that you care about self-leadership. We've talked a lot, a little bit about that. So maybe we'll just finish here up here with some leadership stuff and, and then I'll let you get back to your day. What is self-leadership to you and, and why do you think it's so important? Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was going back and look at some of my notes I made from your book. I think for me, it's trying to hand those leadership skills on to other people and empower other people. I already have to be thinking about, wait a minute, if I'm going to continue here and be a leader here, it's really more about making sure that I've genuinely located those in our organization that can be, right? And then invest the time in making them be better as a leader. That is our biggest struggle. I think for a small business, we all wear many, many, many hats, right? We don't have that big structure. And that to me has got to be a major priority here, especially in the next two to five years. I love that you said that. So many people will go to the answer of driving growth. And while that's right, important, right. I think our number one job as leaders is to get the best out of our people, to help them grow professionally and personally. Because when we have rock stars on our team, we're going to be rock stars, right? Our performances, you're going to drive results so much easier when you have a great team. And I think a lot of leaders look at it as like, well, you know, I need to be doing these things. It's like, no, you need to be growing your team so they can do those things. And I, I think that's counterintuitive for some people. And I think it's hard for, probably, and it's hard for me. And that is like, I'm gonna grab the shovel guy. You know what I mean? So it's like, wait yeah. a minute, so this is leaking. I'm going to patch it. And so for me, I have to stop myself and be like, fear me, everyone knows you know it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right, yeah. who, who else can know it? And then drive someone else to solve that problem or yeah. create that change. So I'm certainly fighting my instincts and my personality. I think for me, it's probably always going to be a challenge. You know, I like to think yeah. I'm a little better at it. <laughs> No, I hear you. It is hard, especially when you have so much experience just to say, oh, yeah, I know. I really try hard to not to do that as well. And my favorite question is, what do you think? What do you think we should do? How do you think we should solve this? Because it forces me to stop going, oh, here's my idea and help them really draw out their own conclusions. And that helps people gain confidence in themselves. When somebody expresses an idea or opinion and you say, yeah, I think you should go try that. That sounds good. Or you're helping build that confidence of, yes, I do have the critical thinking skills to be able to solve problems on my own without having to have my CEO or my boss figure it out for me. That's right. And I could see it through email chains. Like at first I'll see a couple yeah. emails and I want to jump in there. I found myself like, Hey, let it sit a day. Yeah. Let it sit at two. Totally. Guess what, Carrie? Like 99% of the time, someone's got the idea. And then in the yep. end, it's just me going, sounds good, <laughs> right? You know, and then I, I totally agree, you know, but, but I'm not as good at that in person. Is that going to make yeah. sense? I told you I'm a kinesthetic person for me. Like that's the challenge. I'm pretty good about it in written communication. I know how to step back and wait, but in person, it's harder for me. Especially when you're so enthusiastic about what you do, right? You, you just said, is this work? I love what I do. So it makes it easy to want to share and participate and contribute your ideas, but it's not always what's most helpful in that situation. Right. <laughs> all right. Well, one final question before I ask how we can find you and, and all the things that Bic does. So the name of my podcast is Reflect Forward. What does Reflect Forward mean to you? Yeah, wow. So Carrie, you know, I think as far as Reflect Forward, to me is how do we sort of take the context of what we know, what hopefully has generated some level of wisdom in us, and then applying that to the next thing. For me and the different services that we provide, that's a real challenge. And it's interesting. I feel really good about 
my knowledge of media and, and that side of our business, the other sides of our business, I have to rely on others. You know what I mean? So for me, I'm actually drawing on their knowledge and their wisdom. I'm trying to help drive the organization forward based on what they know. And I think that's a good thing. I, I know that in some areas of our business, I will never be the master. And that's okay. As long as I can keep masters on the staff, as long as I can empower those folks that are the ninjas and what they do, I think we'll be fine. Yeah, I love that. That's great. Okay, so how can listeners find you and how can they find all the different things that Big Alliance does? Right, yeah. So to find me, a really strong LinkedIn presence, check me out, yeah. Jeremy Osterberger on my personal page. Most importantly, though, our organization, our business, BicMagazine.com is a great place to go for industry news knowledge and to understand what we bring to the table to industry. Our corporate site is BicAlliance.com. And from there, you can locate our other companies, Bic Recruiting and IBS Investment Banking. Wonderful. Well, I'll include all those in the show notes as well. Well, it's been so much fun to interview you. I just think you are such an awesome human being, and I'm so honored to know you. Carrie, you're the best. Thank you for all your time and appreciate everything you do as always. Uh, we're going to have you back on again in the future on uh, our, our show as well. Yeah, let's do it. There's lots of shop that we can talk. I know that. <laughs> and, uh, keep pedaling. Thanks. Yes, uh, I'm going to. It's uh, still beautiful weather here, even though it's getting close to winter. It's yeah. more mountain biking weather than it is skiing weather. And I'm I'm a wuss. Like, give me like, if it gets below like 45, I'm not riding. I'm inside on that one. I'm in my garage at least. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm the same way. I have a Peloton, which I'm obsessed with. I ride it almost every day. But I'm the same thing. If it's below 45, even, you know, maybe, maybe 40, but I prefer above yeah. 50. But I think it's like close to 70 here today in oh. Southwest Colorado. So oh, it's wow. like You're perfect on. mountain it's bike. On. I know. That's why I said it's not, it's not skiing season yet. So, you know, I've told this before, I'm a road, I'm a road biker. And it's just funny. I was, <laughs> I was going to try and trade crypto to buy a new bike. And let's just say I have not bought a new bike. I should just work. That's a better path. Yeah. Trading crypto to try and earn money is not working out, Gary, for me. I'm just saying. It's really, really, really tough. Yeah, you're right. I should, work. I should go back to power washing. There we go. I'm going <laughs> to yeah, go back yeah. that way. <laughs> That's how you can earn that extra money. Well, yeah. bikes are like, a, you know, the price of a small car. So it is. <laughs> it's not insignificant. It is not. Yeah. So, but, but you know, it's a good thing to invest in, right? So there you go. Yep. yep. You're investing in yourself. That's for sure. Yep. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again, Jeremy. I really appreciate you coming. Had a blast. Thanks, Carrie, for hanging out and uh, wish you all the best. Thank you. All right. Hang tight, everybody. I'll be right back. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that interview. He's so great. Such a fun person. All right. With that, I will leave you to your week. I hope it's a fantastic one. If you like this podcast, please write a review, rate it, share it with a friend, subscribe to it. It helps with the algorithms. And don't forget to pick up my book. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Take care.